0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Americans are deeply polarized on many issues today, including science and medicine. Where once there was widespread agreement, today the differences between us are sharp. On the one hand, posters announce, I believe in science. And on the other hand, dramatic videos show ICU patients affirming their anti-vax beliefs with their final breaths. What is going on? Science is supposed to be based on reason, not faith. We get into a pile of metal, our cars, every day without fear because we trust the engineers who built them based on science. Science is characterized by observation, empirical findings, and replication. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Not long ago, Americans and most people around the world trusted the integrity of science, but that trust has been in decline for years now to our collective detriment. I've been eager to talk with Fran Kritz about this baffling phenomenon to get her insights and recommendations. Fran is a passionate journalist who's been reporting on health and health policy for years for National Public Radio, The Washington Post, and other major outlets. Welcome, everyone. I'm Renee Garfinkel, host of the Van Leer Institute series on ideas. Fran Kritz, welcome to the podcast.
0: Renee, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to
1: be with you. Let's start at the very beginning. How did America go from being a Western, rationalist country in the tradition of the Enlightenment to a country in which half the population is suspicious of and hostile society, to science, according to a recent poll, January's General Social Survey.
0: Of course, a lot of the hostility predates the COVID crisis. Um, there has been polarization. There has been differences of opinion. There has been uh, tribalization and then, um, and a lot of it comes from people's religious beliefs, people's economic beliefs, people's political beliefs, and um, the rhetoric has, has ramped up on both sides, um, certainly in the last few elections so that even before the pandemic occurred two years ago, people already had their sides that they took. There there have always been vaccine uh, deniers. There have been people who were concerned that doctors were using medication that wasn't necessary. And there have been people who have not been necessarily able to trust um, others if they don't think that they're in their camp, whatever in their camp means at that particular juncture then add to that a pandemic about which we know so little. We've never had a virus like this before, which not only affects, uh, can affect so many organ systems. And even now, we don't know everything about it and we know not enough about how to treat it. When that happens and people feel concerned, they have to have an outlet for what they'll do with their frustration, with their fear. And some people, to a great extent, understandably, are trying to figure out what to believe and what not to believe. And one of the things that's fallen in favor of what to believe is not necessarily science, but in the exposition of science and how people are presenting science, delineating science. And that's where we are today.
1: When you say delineating science, are you talking about uh, the kinds of things that people turn to instead of science like astrology or crystals or some of the fad psychological and and health issues
0: I guess what I might I might have used a better word, but I think what I meant is, particularly since the beginning of the pandemic, there's a great deal of money being spent on studies. And the studies are extremely narrow very often. They they go through a window of time. A new study was announced in Israel on a particular treatment, on a particular prevention actually today. That's only going to be six weeks. It gives you a small snapshot in time. That is from the perspective of researchers that will tell you what you need to know now. But to, from the perspective of people who are fearful um, and have gotten and feel they've gotten mixed messaging, maybe that's not long enough to understand whether something is really safe and effective for them to use. And so I think that science is used, science has always been used. You can take a study to almost showcase anything. And when you do short window studies that don't have 30, 40 years, what was the impact at the end of the day? If we took something when we were two, how did it impact us when we were 80? Or did we get to be 80 because we took something that when we were two? I think those things are crystallizing more because people, sciences, particularly during the pandemic, we've been told if we take a vaccine, all will be well. We took a vaccine, all isn't well yet. And that makes people fearful, anxious for information, and really puzzling over what's going on
1: well that's that's a good point. that's an important point. And there's also some larger distrust going on there a dynamic of that distrust in the society because um poll after poll tells us that uh, Americans trust in other institutions including journalism, uh, yours, and including psychology, mine, and, and most other institutions in society, that trust has been in decline for a long time. So do you think there's a relationship between skepticism about vaccine and, and other treatments for COVID and this larger distrust, I, I don't want to call it paranoia, but uh, hesitancy to put their faith in uh, institutions? you
0: know I think that people um, uh, we that people in the last few years definitely have um, been str- uh, have reached out reached back into their own camps and so one of the things what people are not quite sure what to trust because there are sometimes changes we were told at one point for example that a particular vaccine might be a factor in autism then we were told that it wasn't a factor in autism and I think that, um one critical thing is that the, when science comes out, the messaging to support it has to come out as well. We need to say, if a researcher needs to say, as, as scholars do at the end of their journal articles, here are the limitations of my study. I only studied this sort of personality, did it for this amount of time, only looked at this drug. But very often when the information comes out, um, they don't it, it doesn't come with that char- characterization. The other thing is that we tend to believe, Um, feel more comfortable believing people that we believe to speak our language. Over the weekend, I was reading uh, an article written um, by someone who was glad to go to another state in the U.S. because they didn't have mask mandates, and he wasn't going to be told what to do. And for most of the time that I was reading it, I was so angry. And toward the end of it, I thought, what if I were to put myself in his position, I don't want to, I I support masks at the moment, it's one of our best tools, but I was trying to understand what was making him so furious about being told what to do. And I think it it, it comes from a place of fear. When you don't know what's going on, certainly in this case, the the top scientists, the top politicians don't exactly know what's going on. You become fearful and you reach back out Um, and you also want to lash out. So if you are angry at a virus, can't be angry you can't yell at the virus but you can yell at someone who's speaking in murky terms to you who's speaking in um in changeable terms to you and i think that that distrust of anyone people journalists as well when we write a story you know i saw that uh, one of the sites that i write for has a disclaimer this is only um up to date as as per the date that it's published but then something, for example, we wrote there were uh, several monoclonal antibodies that were approved for, uh, to treat COVID-19. Two of them have been shown to be unaffect- uh, ineffective against the Omicron variant. If the site doesn't go back and, um, and correct the stories that say these are the monoclonal antibodies we have for the coronavirus, and you're not looking at the news every day, there's no reason why someone wouldn't come across news that says, hey, here's what works, only to find if they, when they catch up with it later on, if they do, that in fact, that was the news then, this is the news now. If you were reading it, if you're, not for, if you're not looking at this news every single day, you would start to wonder about what it is you really can believe. Why did it work in November, but it doesn't work in February? The same might be true of um, people who were told, the White House announced on Wednesday that pediatric vaccines would be available for shipping in the United States as of February 21st. On Friday afternoon, the Food and Drug Administration uh, postponed hearing on those vaccines because of some inconclusive and incomplete data. If I'm a parent, I, I don't know who to trust. And if I was a parent who was already wary I am going to increase my mistrust of establishment sources, and I'm going to look to people who at least sound like they're telling me what I think is the truth, or not—not so much what I think is the truth, but
1: what sounds truthful to me. And would that be uh, uh, sounding truthful? Would that be someone who was clearer on their limitations, because uh, often. Uh I've had uh, non-psychologists mock the way professional psychological studies are uh, written, which is, is true for all journal writing. After you say what you know, you then hedge your bets. Well, we have to study it under X conditions, Y conditions, Z conditions, so we can't really say, needs more research. Uh, 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 you know the language. and people find that very frustrating because you haven't told me do I should I wear a raincoat or not Uh, so so but you think being more precise and circumspect would engender more uh, trust
0: well I, I think I'm going to answer that in a different way I think that people who are more definitive are gaining people's trust. If you're a parent, we'll use parents are a really good example in this. If you're a parent and you are wondering what to do to best protect your child, particularly the youngest children who are the uh, the only group in the United States that haven't been vaccinated yet, what you want someone to say is, um, yes, it's safe, go and get it, or no, it's not safe, don't take it. And what people are hearing is, we don't really know, and we've changed our mind, and so after the discussion came out, there were lots of people who then went on social media, lots of um, pur- purported experts who went on social media and said, you see, this is why no one should take the, va- the vaccine, give the vaccine to children, or others who said, this is great, let's wait for science to play out. If you, people tend to have a subconscious camp to begin with, you already, or at least a, a foot in a camp, you already know, are you wary? Are you afraid? And, um, you know, I there's one vaccine, the HPV vaccine, um, which can prevent sexually transmitted diseases. I'm a big vaccine proponent. I, I I believe in the science. I know that they've protected us. My kids have all their vaccinations. But one of the things that I was able to rest on because of when my children were born is that many of these vaccines had been studied for many years. And so when it came time for my children to get their vaccines, I I was fearful, like any parent is, because there are rare side effects. But I certainly didn't. I, I definitely decided to go ahead, except for one. My daughter um, came of age just when the HPV vaccine was introduced, and so I didn't give it to her. I and now um, almost twenty years after the vaccine was introduced, she actually has to make her own decision about whether she and I hope she will about whether she'll take it. And I thought about that a lot recently because here I was such a vaccine proponent. And some of the negative, uh, 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 not studies, the studies were strong, but some of the negative chatter around that vaccine really influenced me and in my decision at that time. All of us are so fearful. All of us have a mindset of, who we, who we, who we wanna believe, wh- what we wanna believe, and also a desire to connect with someone who helps us either frame our thoughts, confirm our thoughts. And I think what's happening here is many people as, as they become more fearful, um, or as they as the pandemic wears on, um, are, are looking toward voices that's, that speak to them. They, they do see, for example, there's plenty of supply Uh, for children ages five and above to get the vaccine. But the numbers of parents taking their children to get those vaccines is much lower than the US expected. Some of it is convenience. I was very surprised to read that. It isn't a question of science. It's a question of like, how do I take time off? But some of it is trying to weigh the risk against the benefit. And if you, one of the things that's most interesting to me um, is the most trusted resource in the United States when it comes to vaccines, according to polls and also according to success rates, is an individual physician. The likelihood of you being vaccinated, if you've if you have not been vaccinated, but your own physician or a physician you trust in talks to you about it, you are highly likely. And I have a friend who is not an immunologist, he's an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And he said that anyone who comes in to see him, he has created his day um, so that he takes the time just he asks if they're vaccinated. And if they say no, he said, do you mind if I speak to you about it? Will you tell me your questions? I'd like to know what's concerning you. And I'd like to answer those questions for you. I won't push you. I won't force you, but I'd like you to hear what I have. Uh, I'd like to answer your questions. That's something that so many people, that's what people are yearning for. Um, a, a voice that they can hang their hat on. Um, and at the moment, and and he's not, he, he can't say it to anyone as he told me he can't say, you won't need another vaccine. This will take care of all versions of the of the of the of the pandemic virus, but what he can say is what he knows and show shows them um evidence to support what he knows. I wonder sometimes if people, instead of hearing so many voices, if they identify a person they trust and could hear that voice, whether it would make a difference.
1: Well, I'm very impressed that you know a physician who takes more time than he or she has to uh, <laughs> with patients. That's, that doctor is a keeper. Uh, <laughs>
0: You know, that's quite right. But I I actually have, I was surprised. It happens more than you think. And I think it's because doctors are, uh, doctors and nurses and pharmacists, Um, even barbershop. um, The barbershop has become a place in the, particularly in the African American community, where uh, there's quite a lot of trust. The reason is that they're in the barbershop for, for decades. More than that, people have come and shared their stories, their life stories, deaths, births, and so, for example, when it comes to things like high blood pressure, barber shops have become a place where um, community public health in, in communities has does blood pressure screenings there because uh, patrons of the shop think that it's a safe space. That's also become a place where people can talk about. Uh, the vaccines. Public libraries have become a place where there's information about the vaccines. There are many people who gather there. and The librarians try very hard not to have an opinion, but they've created um, information there because the uh, public libraries in the United States have become the great bastion of social services. In public libraries now, you can get, you can meet a social worker, you can get help with food, you can get help, you can, uh, there's a public library and Denver, Colorado, um, that has a sewing machines, so that people who are homeless can repair their clothes. And I, this takes us a little far off science, but, but the point being that the people who are the most vulnerable have come to view that space. And they call it something very interesting. They call it a maker space. It's, it's not meant as something special for people who are poor, but people have come to trust that space. And it's very intentional. And that means that if you put information in, in, health information in, you're not guaranteed that people will uh, will will take it and use it. But it is a space that's a reasonable venue for sharing information because people have already seen that the public library, the barbershop, their own doctor, a community health center, maybe a house of worship in some cases, can be a place where they feel that they can trust the people who are providing the information that can take it a little bit out of the healthcare realm in some healthcare realms where they may feel that they can't trust.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned libraries. We just had a guest on the show a couple of weeks ago who was uh, a professor of library science who talked a lot about the new roles for libraries and librarians as, uh, as movers and shakers in their community Uh, But you also mentioned minorities, and I'm glad you did that, because minority communities uh, who are vaccine-hesitant or skeptical of science, uh, especially medicine, uh, uh, hark back to their own actual historical experience. Uh, African Americans refer to the Tuskegee experiments And uh, the studies with uh, ultra-Orthodox communities in Manchester, uh, England, uh, talked about how people refer to the Nazi doctors, sadistic human experiments, and their collaboration with Nazi uh, ideology, and that that all goes into the mix. Uh, What do you find in your work
0: Um, you know, in, I reported this story for NPR National Public Radio, uh, uh, last year on, uh, called Trusted Messengers, Trusted Messengers, uh, Trusted Messages, Trusted Messengers. And, um, we, uh, one of the things that was interesting is there are some generalizations and then there's some specifics. And so, for example, and there are some things that happen that make people trust less. So if you look at the Black community, well, in fact, um, the story about the Tuskegee Civilist story is something that's it's handed down generations. If you then one of the um, Stan, uh, the hospital in Stanford, Connecticut, actually decided that they would do something, they p- partnered with the NACP, and they wondered that even if people were fearful, was convenience a greater issue than than um, than has been fear? And what they did was they um, reached out to uh, businesses and asked human resources to let them. Speak to or to have human resources speak to their employees and say, "You know that the COVID vaccinations are coming. You don't have to go looking for one. We can connect you with one. You tell us what day is good for you. Tell us what time. We'll send a bus there, and when you or we'll send a car there for you with you. And when you t- get that uh, that shot, they'll schedule you for the next one as well." And what they found was. Among their fears were, how am I going to do, it wasn't just, will it be safe, but it will be, how will I sign up? How will I get there? Uh, Who will talk to me about it? Will they speak the language? And while there definitely is uh, some hesitation, actually, more than Tuskegee, there's another one um, among nursing home staff, African-American nursing home staff. And this I know from speaking, this is not just about the staff, this is speaking to African-American administrators. There has been a belief during the vaccination period that if you get the vaccine, it will brand you in some way and God won't let you get into heaven. And people have chosen to be fired over having this, this religious belief that it will change you, that it will change your DNA. That's when uh, the conversations one-on-one make such a difference. though so what has happened is there's been an, an incredible impact uh, on the dearth of science. It makes us need to speak about what we do about regaining trust, because the idea of herd immunity will no long is no longer possible in the United States. The the virus has. Unleashed itself, and variants will come and go. This will become endemic, but you see the fits and starts. You know, some days are safe to go out, and some days are not because there are surges and 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 reduced surges. In the Orthodox community, they did a similar thing in Brooklyn. They did a similar thing. An organization that's well respected. Israel, which is respected among all the Hasidic movements, they decided to do their own vaccine drive and mask handout. And everyone who was there looked, had, had yarmulkes on, beards of the men, women with their hair covered. So that the look of the people who were talking about vaccines, administering vaccines, handing out masks a year ago, looked like the people who were coming to, uh, to, to get those services. And I found that that made a huge difference. And I think in other communities that has made a huge difference as well. You, you're far comfortable with someone who you feel has similar beliefs, has similar um, understanding, has uh, speaks your language literally as well. That has made a a huge difference in in all minority communities. In Latino communities in San Francisco, one of the things they've done, for example, is convenience again. I know, I'm sure that your listeners must be surprised that we're bringing it up so much, but the polling done, particularly by the Kaiser Family Foundation has been that many people, the word convenience may not be the right one. It's that, well, I do 24-7 some days, certainly 16 hours a day on thinking about COVID. Most people uh, are, are not necessarily They're They're trying to go about their day. They're trying to look ahead. And the vaccine seems um, uh, far off. You know, they, they've heard uh stories that it may be effective might not be effective and there are many people who just haven't even at this point have not taken the time to get it there is still a hefty group of people who have just said they're not getting it but there are hundreds of thousands of people who just haven't gotten around to it yet or haven't been convinced yet and um so one of the things that they did in san francisco is to bring uh, vaccinators into the subway system so that you can um if you're taking the subway they'll say do you have 15 minutes? Because you have to wait 15 minutes after the vaccine to make sure that you don't, There, uh, in rare cases, people can faint. So it's not just a jab and off you go. But they'll say, do you have 15 minutes? Or they'll say, can you come back tomorrow, take an extra 15 minutes? And when people realized that it was so easy to get it, they had more people coming the next day, the next week. Um, So uh, one of the things that I learned from writing that story is how multifactorial this is. It would be so great if this was so black and white. You know, there are people who are mistrusting in science. We read them the study and everyone will be vaccinated or everyone will wear a mask or everyone will feel confident about taking uh, um, medication if they're if they're positive with um, COVID and at risk. It's just not that simple.
1: No, it's not that simple because uh, you've been talking about people who don't follow the news every day and then necessarily uh, react to every new little blip that comes out about uh, COVID and the uh, prevention of it. There are people at the other extreme of consuming news who uh, claim, have written and and observed that – Researchers and physicians who disagree with the prevailing ideas uh, have been discredited and shut down, even when they are uh, respected researchers in their own careers. Uh, Isn't the scientific method meant to be a series of hypothesis testing, looking, uh, understanding, having a theory about the result? and changing your ideas and finding and testing them again. Um, Is, is this notion that uh, disagreement is not tolerated uh, correct? Is that really what's happening or are the writers just looking at real outliers?
0: You know, I think it's absolutely happening and I'll use myself as the example, the story that I, uh, the story, the article that I read before. So I have, Liberal leanings, though I'm trying to be open minded to everyone's position, which is really critical to do when you're writing. You know, journalism has changed so that opinions creep in. You can use words now in journalism that you might not have used 40 years ago when I began, where you say you might um, add in sort of like, of course, that's the right thing to do, or must take the necessary vaccines. 40 years ago, if we were writing this, it would have been so matter of fact. And now they're just even into straight news stories. Words creep in that are opinion. And so if you're in a different camp and you read something on either side, I can make that clearer. If you're reading, you know, liberal leaning media, it will... It, their words creep in that wonder why someone wouldn't take the vaccine. And if you're reading, this isn't even social media, this is the mainstream media. And if you are reading or listening to more right leaning media, words will creep in that give an allowance, give a pass to people who might be concerned. And so finding objective viewpoints. Is a little bit difficult, um, and I thought about that myself when I read this uh, this article that someone had written about being glad to go to Florida. And I'm thinking, where can I post, you know, a, a, a counter argument to this? And then I thought, is this what we've come to? We're battling over social media, like A. Will I change his mind? Like, and and then B was, but how do I change his mind? And I'm I'm not necessarily good, though I'm trying at hearing other opinions uh, and, and changing my own but I think that one of the things that happens also um, it, here is that things have changed so rapidly so even if there's a scientific method and you you do a study and it shows that something has worked the vaccinations, appear to be, you know, so the the study that we have now over a two-year period, they appear to be safe, they appear to be effective. But you can turn that, you can, I don't want to say turn that around, because that sounds intentional, but someone can read that same study and say, it's only two years of data. They've only used this kind of vaccine. They've only used this many people. And um, you, instead of having objective science, you have un a hopefully objective study with with an opinion um, surrounding it. And that opinion, I, most people, I think this is probably one of the most important points we can make. And I wonder what you think about that. I, When I look at social media, I, I feel calm when I read opinions that match my own. And I feel irate when I read opinions that don't. If that's how I feel, I'm good with opinions that match mine, and I'm irate with opinions that don't match mine, how will I ever inculcate another opinion? And I think that's a lot of what's going on with science now. Most people don't read the actual study, though I would like to encourage people to do it. There are abstracts where you could read a small summary if there's a study that you're interested in. Many medical journals are open access. You can take a look. There is some scientific, it's a science-speak, so to speak, but there's an abstract that's a summary. And in some cases, uh, particularly the Journal of the American Medical Association and others, if you if you look at their website, there may be an explanation for consumers as well. So you can read the original study. Everything does need context, of course. Most things do so that if you read um, uh, a study about something that's effective, again, the example that I gave, I might have I might read a study that says a monoclonal antibody is effective, but what am I to do with that if two months later they say, well, it was effective for the version of the virus we had two months ago, but not for the version of the virus that we have now. Or some people say your study showed certain risks, but didn't ask about all risks. I I think that um, maybe going to original sources will at least help you see the scientific method um, and is one approach for people feeling somewhat more confidence or some uh, in in looking at what in, in looking at what's coming out. It's a high bar. I, I don't know that everyone's going to do that. And uh, a lot of what we see really is the summary of what someone says about something. I, I would urge people actually. One thing that people can do is to look at if you're reading an article about anything, look at the date. Things. To, change so quickly. So if you're reading about something um, things, and you're looking for information that will impact you and your health in particular, I would find the most up-to-date version that you can because that allows for the science to have evolved. Um, particularly with the pandemic, things have changed, but with anything they've changed. The shingles vaccine is a good example. About 10 years ago, a shingles vaccine was introduced. Everyone was so excited. It was the first vaccine to prevent shingles, which can be horribly painful in people that have it, it can be debilitating, can lead to, in, in, in some cases, can lead to disability. Um, and then it turned out after a few years, it wasn't a very effective vaccine. So even if you had taken the vaccine, you now needed to take another vaccine. So for people who said to their doctor, "Now I don't need the shingles vaccine, I took it. You didn't. You took a an inferior one. You have to take another one. That'll erode your trust really quickly. So one thing I I urge people to do is read things as up to date as possible. If you're reading something from a few years ago, go back take the take the noun that you're reading about and find something in the last few months, last even last when it comes to the pandemic, in the last few days because things are changing so rapidly.
1: In my conversations with people who are anti vaxxers. They frequently mention uh, the role of money, that big pharma, big money goes into the vaccinations, and that's why they can't really feel confident that this is in their best interests. So let me ask you, does anyone or who benefits from COVID denial and vaccine refusal or hesitancy?
0: Do you, do you let me just make sure I understand your question? Do you mean if someone refuses a vaccine, does someone else benefit? People certainly benefit from someone taking the vaccine because there's a purchase involved. But if someone doesn't take it, you're asking who who benefits financially?
1: Yeah, I'm um, uh, well, maybe not financially. I, I'm I'm trying to think like a conspiracy theorist and say. Okay, if you say what's behind the promotion of the vaccines is a great deal of money, then what's behind the promotion of avoiding the vaccines as some prominent politicians' positions are? I think maybe there isn't any.
0: I think Hmm? that I don't think it's fine as well. I think, I mean, first of all, uh, uh from for, for, uh, uh, there is some credence you know as left leaning as I may be there is some credence in worry that money plays a large role in this pandemic um uh there there's been a huge amount of money paid to the companies who are making the vaccine you can just see that in the fact that they won't share their technology with the developing world and that's because they don't want to give up control of manufacturing where they particularly in the west where they make so much money so I don't know that there's, there may be financial gain, I suppose. Uh, there's no alternative unless you sort of think like, you know, there's somebody selling ivermectin or, uh, you know, some other product. But what there is to be gained is political clout. If you, if you, if if I am fearful uh, and I don't want to take this vaccine, but I'm getting a lot of uh, backlash from, from family members, from friends, from community members, but there is a politician um, or someone identified with a particular group or camp that says um, I uh, that says I agree with you, or let me tell you that there's money in it. You'll join that camp. I actually think I don't, uh, in churches and synagogues, the churches and the synagogues stand to benefit. If a church or synagogue shows itself to be an entity that is uh, vaccine hesitant, then they're going to get people who. Who uh, gravitate toward that house of worship, and and they and they gain. So I I do think that there's there is what to be gained. There is and there's also mistrust there in the huge amounts of money. You know, one of the things that um, the government did is it actually bought every vaccine, many vaccines under development with the hopes that once the clinical trials were done, they then could hit the ground running. They already had pre-orders. They got the money that way. It's, it's a great deal of money. And so people, when if you hear that, if you translate that and you hear the billions of dollars that's being paid out to drug companies, someone could certainly ask themselves, were corners cut? Um, were, uh, was everything that was supposed to be done, done What people, the, the sophistication with which the FDA and the CDC generally puts itself to, um, is, uh, it is, is high. I will tell you something else, which is really sort of interesting. Um, how camps have played out here is very interesting in, um, how people are shut down, one of the things, uh, and this is a, a really good example, um, at the same time that this is happening, the COVID pandemic, it's also the political vitriol in the United States and also the Me Too movement. And you might wonder how the Me Too movement plays into this. And one of the things that happened is the American Medical Association had a former uh, uh uh not president because the lay leadership, but executive director, who did an unusual thing. Before every major uh FDA meeting, he, reporters and doctors were invited to uh um, a webinar that he would do with the most significant physicians. Um some of the Dr. Fauci, but uh Paul Offit, who's head of the Vaccine Research Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and what he would do is he would prepare them for the FDA meeting that would um, take place, and he would say, "What are the questions that will be asked? What concerns you? What are you worried about? What do you want to hear? What are you worried about with this vaccine or this drug? And what do you want to hear the drug company say in response to your questions?" Um, They're not doing those now because someone at the American Medical Association not this person was accused of being racist and and they felt that somebody had to answer for um, the fact that this uh, this doctor he was asked about racism in medicine and this doctor who uh, an employee of the American Medical Association said that there was no racism in medicine medicine he tweeted it as well and it in addition to that person being fired, they decided that the executive director had not handled the situation, the CEO, well enough. And so they fired him as well. And what they lost in the shuffle to me and to many journalists has been incalculable because a lot of us relied on those webinars in the week or days before the major meetings. And he he held those meetings before COVID as well to help prepare us for what we needed to know, what questions we needed to ask. Um, you know, journalists don't, there are very few science, you know, many journalists gain their experience by doing this for a long time. And uh, we do research before we write our stories. We need to be able to explain things. And I think that, um, I there was a very long version of me telling you that, but what I wanted to say is, Something like that, something like the Me Too movement creeping into the discussions on the on the pandemic, that just shows you how polarized we are and the damage that can be done.
1: That's an awful story. I'm so sorry to hear that. It's really a, a, a story of shooting oneself in the foot. Dreadful. That is exactly uh, right. <laughs> let, let's close on a constructive point, Fran. Um What's your best advice about how we can be more effective in persuading our friends, our neighbors, Americans uh, in general to get vaccinated?
0: I think it's such a great question and such a hard thing to do. Certainly, I know for me it's a little hard to do. But that is when you speak to someone, if you could, fe- I would rehearse. If you know, you don't always know it. You might like be in a meal with someone or encounter someone that might come up. But you have the possibility to think about it now. Ask, think about how you might say something in a non-judgmental way, and say. Um, is there anything that I could share with you that would make you feel more at ease? Is there anyone that would be helpful? Maybe there's someone I know that could make you feel more at ease about it. Is there something I can share? Could I share my experience? But then if you feel like the conversation isn't going well, think about who else you might know, who might be a slightly closer friend of theirs, who might be a doctor that they trust, who might be a clergy person that might they might trust. You might say to them, you know what, maybe I'm not the one that you want to have the conversation with. What about talking to this person? I know they're not going to, no one's going to force you, but why not think about who might be another person, a trusted messenger that they could, that someone else could speak with. And whatever you do, and I, I just, can, I know it's so hard, try and use not just language, but also tone of voice to keep yourself so even keeled. Because the minute that any of us in our camps raise our voices, change our language, that that one battle is lost. And by opening your ears, listening, instead of waiting to talk, uh, using non-judgmental language, using a calm tone of voice, realizing that you may not be the right source, but maybe you might have um, someone. And you know what? If all else fails, offer your friendship, say, go with God, stay well, I wish you well. You may not be able to convince that person, but maybe each small step of instead of being infuriated, opinionated, maybe everything, maybe the hesitancy they have needs to be broken little by little. So keep your voice calm, keep your facts simple, And realize that you may not be the best person to do this conversation. Maybe you can just be a friend and be the beginning of a conversation that they're going to have. We're going to be needing these vaccinations in all likelihood for the rest of our lives. If that battle with that person isn't won, and I hope it is, but if it's not won this month, this month, next month, we'll need to fight it again next year, the year after that. Start it now in a calm voice and good luck to all of us.
1: That's great. Great advice. And uh, patience and humility are good things to keep with you as often as you can. Very difficult to follow. Fran, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Take good care of yourself and stay well. And good luck with your ongoing important work.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation today. Thank you for the wonderful conversation.
1: If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the Van Leer series on ideas on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform.